get ready for a no BS approach to health and fitness. This is NBS Fitness Radio. All right, welcome back to MBS Fitness Radio. I am here with Mark England. Mark is going to talk to us about all things mindset, breath work. Uh, Mark, welcome to the show, bud. Thank you. Thank you, Dave, for having me on, everybody, for listening. Yeah. All right, Mark. So kind of just give us your story. Um, what's your background? How'd you get into this stuff? Tell us your story. Yep. Uh, I thought I was a, a tough guy once upon a time. I, I wrestled in high school and took my first jujitsu class in, in 1996. And um, wrestling was cool. You know, I pin you, you pin me. But there was there was something about jujitsu, man. That first time I got choked out, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I, I had no clue somebody could do something like that to me. I was like, oh, I got to learn this. Yeah. <laughs> and um, to some degree, I did. I trained hard. We'll call it what it was. Um, for about six years, I had a handful of amateur MMA fights, won a couple of state kickboxing titles, and moved to Thailand okay. in 2002. Um, I ended up <laughs> living there for 10 years, which still sounds strange to say. Um, that was not the plan at all. What the initially plan, sent you to Thailand? Uh, the kickboxing. I was okay. going to uh, go over there for a year, um, polish up on my, my, my stand-up skills, and then come back and go pro. Okay. Uh, uh, again, not what happened. Six months over there, I was having my second knee surgery. And uh, the doctor said when I got out post-op, um, he was very blunt. He said, your career, your career as a fighter is over. Mm. You, could, you could become a very good swimmer. And um, I was picturing doing laps next to grandma at the pool. Not, not what I had in mind at 26. And um, this, is a this is a really big move for me. I had my passport for only two years. Yeah. I had three going away parties. And so this was, this was me going for something substantial yeah. and, and, and I fell right on my face mm. and I used darkness descended, my man. I used that, uh, major fail as the final piece of evidence in a case that I was silently making against myself that I was not good enough and I was doomed to fail. And there was something, I didn't know what it was, but there was something wrong with me. And obviously, cause here's, here's the final piece of, uh, of damning evidence. And I, I didn't laugh for an entire year. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so all of this is occurring in Thailand um, do you have any connections over there outside of the fight scene? Have you built, developed any relationships? Not at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Um, that changed of course, um, for a, a couple of reasons I, I did my, the first five years, I was an elementary school sports teacher in, um, uh, in Bangkok at an mm -hmm. American school. Fantastic gig. The second half was, uh, I was a counselor, coach, call what you will, at a cleansing and detox resort on an island in the Gulf of Thailand on the beach. And I got down there because my vice principal, uh, I mean, dude, dude, I, was, I was a mess. He, he, he recognized that and he said, hey, uh, read this book. It was on Taoism and their health and longevity practices. And he said, there's a spa down 
on Kosamui that's doing retreats based on this this book. And I read it, and it it, it uh, I'd had some acupuncture in college, and I, it was it was interesting. I was like, okay, I'll go down there and give it a shot. I'll go down there and pay them to not eat. That was basically the program. <laughs> it was a fasting resort. Yeah. Here, you pay us, and you get a coconut and a yoga class, and you get to hang out and starve. We didn't. Yeah, but it was like long? seven days. Okay. okay. <laughs> long, long enough for yeah, yeah. some rando dude from from Virginia. Um, and I felt better. So I kept going down there. Third time down, I went to a uh, emotional detox workshop, which I laughed at the name. I'm like, emotional detoxification. Glad I went. And the guy that was facilitating, a gentleman by the Barry, by the name of Barry Musgrave, he'd become my first mentor in this work. And he talked about words, same stuff we're going to talk about today, yep. words, stories, breathing, identity. And then he asked, is there anyone in the audience who's struggling with a story? And this woman shot her hand up. And she told it was a legit stinger of a breakup story. Uh, the short story is her and her friends got a house down at the beach for beach week. Her boyfriend and all his friends got the house next door, add alcohol, press play. Mm. He hooked up with one of her best friends um, in front of everybody one night and then dumped her in front of everybody the next night. Oh, gosh. We, we can all say ouchie on three. <laughs> and four years later, she's still mad. Yeah. Understandable. Oh. So he has her tell the story. She does. Angry, crying. Okay. Tell that exact same story again. She did. He gets in there and starts changing some of the words. Interesting. And very. I'd never seen anything like this before. And you could see her start to loosen up just a pinch so now she's sad no tears and play that he had her play it the third time through the dude knew what he was doing and he stopped her at the sentence that held the whole thing together it's like the lord of the Rings sentence is the linchpin of the whole story which was he did that to me mm. He, and he had to repeat it three times. So everybody's staring at the same sentence, the same yeah. spell. By Web Webster's definition of a spell, not mine. Yeah. Webster's definition of a spell is a word or a combination of words of great influence. That's it. It goes both ways. This one was one of. Maybe often said, repeated three times. What, what, say again. Like often repeated. Like a. Oh, oh, oh. And that was nothing. That was nothing compared to the amount of time she was repeating it internally. Right. Yeah. You know, she probably a thousand, you know, and that's very common, everybody, you know, something happens and then we replay the thing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And um, we'll get into what happens when we do that. And so one last time, repeat the, the sentence, which she did. He did that to me. And he said that last word, take that out and put in himself. Mm. And. That and, and this is exactly what she did. It was such a radical departure from the story that she'd been relentlessly telling herself every day, essentially for four years. 
um, so much so she hadn't gotten in another relationship. I mean, she was just chewing on that thing, and he, this is how she delivered it. He he did that to himself, and it went up at the end. It was a question, and then you see a catch, and the breath unlocked. He did. He did do that to himself, and then she talked about how he lost friends, and it was actually worse for him in the end. And then she, then the last thing she said was, oh, "That was never going to work out anyway." That guy was actually really weird. <laughs> so he gave her an exit with yeah. her words. Yeah. And um, you ever do you ever see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Mm-mm. It's a great you. It's a it's a great movie. One of my favorites. And there's a meme of Leonardo DiCaprio. He's sitting there watching TV with a beer, and he's pointing like that. There it is. You yeah. might have seen that. Seen that's what movie. I. Okay. That's. That's what I did with because because I had a he did that to me story. Mm. He shouldn't have been kicking that hard. We were just warming up, man. Yeah, you know he should have let go of that. He should have let go of that knee bar. Yeah, you know, I, I, I had a couple instances where I had to, I created a villain out of thin air and gave my and absolved myself from all responsibility, and I did it with my words, unbeknownst to me. And I thought I I, I believe the story in my head. Yeah, and I I looked at that. And, and, uh, yeah, that was in 2003. Um, I, uh, took a couple of trainings, bought a bunch of DVDs, read the books. Four years later, I went back to that same spa and January 17th, 2007, I put my poster up, um, with the, the uh, with all the other practitioners there. And that was the day that I went pro and I've been somewhere between full-time and overtime, <laughs> the whole time since nice. so 16 years doing this one thing, staring at words. Very cool. Uh, we'll dive a little bit more into that. Um, you talk a lot about the power of words. Yeah. Where's that come from? What kind of power do they have? Good question. Um, well, where does it come from? It comes from us. It comes from us and the understanding that our words are powerful and they influence us for better and for worse is an ancient understanding. Uh, I lived in Ecuador for uh, a year and a half. We're out to dinner with friends and a guy at the table knew what I was, what I was into. This is in 2013. And he goes, Hey Mark, you know what abracadabra means? And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic. And he goes, no, it's better than that. <laughs> and he goes, uh, abracadabra is Aramaic, and which is an ancient language, everybody. It's one of the two languages Jesus spoke. It's still spoken in some parts of the Middle East today. It's the language the original Old Testament was written in. And he said, abracadabra is Aramaic, and it translates to with my word I create or with my word I influence. Mm-hmm. And the hairs came up on my arm. I put my my fork down. And I went over there. And I said, "Tell me everything." And the um, the the teachers the the of the day they would and you, please look this up, everybody. They would triangulate abracadabra to remind them of the power and the mecha- mechanism, the mechanics of language of, of the spoken word. And to dispel, which means to cast out spells and dispel, dispel negativity. So people have been um, this whole thing about getting our language working for us, because most people's language is working against them, uh, which is an education issue. We'll likely get into that. This whole thing about people getting there, be becoming aware and conscious and um, methodical and um, 
uh, constructive and considerate and um, powerful, potent with their words. This thing's been going on a while. Yeah. Now, um, now to bring that into today for us with the English language and how mindset is talked about, which is a fantastic thing. Let's keep talking about mindset and how mindset is talked about most of the time. It's this big picture thing that's held at a macro level conversation. It's this, it's this thing we know we need to get better at, but how? And there's that confident person over there. That looks fun. I'm over here. Whoops. Would have been nice. Mm. Mindset in the, in enlifted mindset, we have a very simple definition of it. It's, it's very interesting to ask people that, you know, talk about mindset a lot. What is it? If they don't have a simple definition for it, they haven't thought about it enough. In my opinion, personal and professional mindset is simple. It's the story that we tell ourselves. Yep. Okay. It's the story that we tell ourselves to ourselves about ourselves. It's the story that we tell ourselves about the world and our place in it, what we can do and what we can't do, what we do deserve to have and what we don't deserve to have. And that story that we're participating in is built of words. And um, when we add into the conversation, extremely valuable conversation about mindset, what words to use less of and why, and what words to use more of and why, then mindset becomes way more practical, as in I can practice thinking, speaking, and writing. Because I talk about language a lot. Let's get this on the table, too. When I talk about language, I'm talking about our internal dialogue and our external dialogue, what we think, what we say, and what we write. When we, we learn what words to use less of and why and what words to use more of and why, only if we want to um, build ourselves up in our imagination and create feelings of confidence and competence and unlock our breath and keep the drama low and stay focused on things that are important to us, only if we want to do any of those things should you learn about your words. Yeah. And if you're going to learn about your words and what the problem is or what the issue is, for most people, it's the victim mentality. So, um, this is interesting. I just, I, um, I'm sure you've heard of, um, like emotional uh, intelligence and there's a, there's a, sure. a test, a EQI and I, I, I participated a couple of weeks ago at a business thing. Oh, cool. Um, um, and a lot of it's about, um, we call it like emotional skills. In other words, understanding that these are skills that can be developed. These are not traits. So empathy is something that can can be developed. Impulse control is something that can be developed. Self actualization. Yes, some people are inherently more you know lean one more more towards having a um, higher skill level than others. But at at all emotional um, skills can be developed. And what's what's interesting to me is. Like as I've grown and developed and be being exposed to a lot of this stuff, you just see this like crazy growth. And then, then you also see the crazy gap between the person who's never experienced any of it and those people who have. Um, and you've been a part of obviously many different cultures. So I'd like to hear kind of your thoughts on like the American culture, maybe compared to other cultures, and why this this idea of words, self-talk self stories why inherent uh, or why socially we seem to be pretty bad at it and instead are 
are more leaning more into the kind of victim stories or we place ourselves as the victim of our own lives. Yeah. Very, very good uh, question. I, I lived in Thailand for 10 years. Like I said, um, I did, I did a couple of summers in, in Istanbul and lived in Ecuador and I can only speak to cultures using the English language because that's the only language that I speak fluently. Um, and this is, uh, this is an education issue. So I come from an education background. I have a degree. I have a master's degree in education. I was no, I was a sports teacher before uh, I got into this, and I came up in the public schools. I didn't have one course class or conversation about how my language influenced my imagination or my feelings and emotions or right. my, definitely not my breathing. Nobody talked about breathing in school. Are you crazy? No, it's all regular spelling, grammar, and definitions. And so, and that's good news because this conversation, it's not rocket science. Right. Um, when we start talking about the power of our words, how they influence us, what aspects of ourself they they influence the victim mentality, which I'll break down here in a second, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so that's the that's the baseline answer for why we're in or why the English language is used the way it is, generally speaking, which is externalized, vague, and inflammatory. Hence the confusion and chaos. And there are some people, and shout out to the fitness industry. Um, uh, which is the transformation industry. If we really look at it, in yep. my opinion. Um, uh, uh, a lot of people in different areas uh, that are competitive, competitive areas, business is one of them. Okay, business is one of them. Fitness is one of them. They, they at some point in time, m- macros and back squats aren't going to get you that f- that further thing down the road. And people are like, okay, where's, where's, where's the, where I need an edge. Where's the next thing for me to look? And um, oddly enough, the answer is usually going in. Yeah. The answer is usually going in. And a lot of times when people start to go inward, um, they don't like some of the stuff they see. Mm-hmm. Which, and if someone keeps going inward and looking at their stories and their beliefs and their ideas and their feelings and their habits and their patterns, both negative and positive, um, well, the personal empowerment is 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 right around the corner, and and I like I like hanging out with people that have the ability to go. No, okay, yeah, fine, I'm doing that. <laughs> and I called this um, uh, in 2015. I did a, a an on ramp. It was a two week CrossFit on ramp at Paradiso CrossFit in in Venice. And I went in there and did that and took some classes that summer. And I went to my business partner. I was like, dude, these people are cool, man. They're doing some different exercises for sure. I didn't learn any of this stuff in gym class. Yeah. And they're they're pack animals. They, they're, they've got each other's backs. They have work ethics and they have goals. I was like, if we can get this thing in front of uh, the fitness industry, then I bet it catches. Yeah. And I was right. So 2017 – this is my 335th podcast that I've gone on talking about one thing and one thing only, which is words and stories and breath and identity. That's it. I'm a one trick pony. Mike Bledsoe called me a one trick pony back in the day. And I was like, yes, sweet. I only have to do one thing. And he's yeah. right. Yeah. And so I flew from Thailand 
to Los Angeles to do Barbell Shrugged, January 20th, 2017. Mike and I became friends, and when that show dropped, we got introduced to the fitness industry through, at the time, the best mouthpiece in CrossFit, and everything changed, and it stayed it stayed changed. Um, 65% of our coaches are from the fitness industry. Yeah. We, we certify coaches on how to help people with their stories, long story short. Um, and where that conversation starts is with the victim mentality. Most people have not heard the definition of the victim mentality. If it's okay, I'll recite it. I would love to hear it. Yep. And and further still, most people have never written down the definition of the victim mentality. So you're listening because you're listening. Uh, Here are the numbers, 30, 50, 80. We remember 30% of what we hear, 50% of what we write, and 80% of what we turn around and teach or share. So if you want to put yourself in a very very exclusive club of people that have even heard the definition of victim mentality, much less written it down, pick up a pen. You'll get an extra 20% for your return on investment for listening to the show. And uh, right. So I'll do this two times. I'll do it slow and then I'll speed it up and add some context. And then um, please direct me on where it would be a good, good direction to take the next part of the conversation. The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others even in the absence of clear evidence the victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. I took a pinch out of the middle. That's the definition of the victim mentality. Here it is a little faster with some context. The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends, it's a tendency, folks. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down, where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends underline that word depends it has to have a habitual thought process and attributions habitual accurately implies duration and addiction yes we can get addicted to this thing i was i lived it thought process habitual thought process and attributions look on that look, look at attributions here in a second so my simple mind if the vict if there is a habitual, as in words used consecutively in the same way over time, uh, thought process, which is words used consecutively over time, uh, that the victim mentality has to have. I want to know the words. What are those things? What are those words? And what's what what's that attribution thing about? It's That's called a characteristic, and that's a, it's the breath. We're known as the language people. It's nice to be known for something. Might as well be known as the language and the breathing people. And push comes to shove, it's about the breath. Unlock that thing. Most people's breath is trapped in their chest. Okay. Um, before we go down the, the rabbit hole of breath, because that's a rabbit hole, <laughs> I happily will go down. Um, <clears throat> my first question is, where, where's the benefit of the victim 
mentality? Why do people choose it? It's a choice. Why Most of the time, it's an un unconscious choice. Yeah. I, I opened two years of workshops. Hey, I'm my name's Mark. Thanks for coming. How do you all want to feel? And I have them write it down. And everybody can tell you exactly how they want to feel. And, and they can get it on paper in under two minutes. And it, it's somewhere along the lines of uh, confident, secure, connected, appreciated, and um, and and happy and loved. And so if people know how they want to feel, why are they not feeling that way? And it's because we got a glitch in our language. It's, it's, it's two plus two equals four. Regardless of that woman's intent, if she uses those words, he did that to me, she's getting the victim villain mental imagery. The picture of he's in the picture, she's in the picture, he's doing that thing again, even though it happened four years ago. And um, I, I don't care how bad she wants it to stop. If she says that sentence, she's getting that thing. Why is that the default? Like, clearly that's the default. Like, like there's no there's no seminars classes on how, how to teach people how to be a victim, how to have a victim mentality. So why do we default there? Well, some people want people to be scared and disempowered and with their breath trapped in their chest because then they're way more easy to control. Yeah. That's uh that's the dark side of this conversation. That there are people that um uh capitalize, there are mega industries built off of uh people's victim mentalities. Yeah. And um they they know what they're doing. Have you ever looked back and like in a, in a historical perspective? Because I'm kind of be curious, like, like what data data could we pull to show like that it's is is has it been the same forever? We're just now more aware of it. Has there been an upward trend? I mean, I would tend to to say that the feeling that I get is it has been a bit of an upward trend. I think you could probably look at some like uh, medical data when it comes to antidepressants and uh, all that kind of stuff and probably find a pretty strong correlation. Um, in, in my, and, and everybody, please, I'll say this again, know who you're listening to here. I'm not a doctor. I don't have a doctorate. Um, uh, I'm a former elementary school PE teacher with a handful of MMA fights. Okay. I'm a simple, simple guy to the core. Right. Um, and so this is this is only my personal and professional opinion is that there is a bifurcation happening there. There are some people that are committed to becoming more and more and more bitter. OK. And there are some people that are committed to becoming more better, more better, more better. And. um And then, so you put the word historically in there, and that, that <laughs> but you didn't think I'd bring this up. That takes me back to the Donner Party. Are you familiar with them? The Donner Party? Nope. Yeah. So um, people use their words in a, some people use their words in a more extravagant uh, uh, exaggerated, blown out way. Here's an example. This blueberry muffin bl blew my mind. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was the most it was the most incredible conversation I've ever had. When we my dad said when he was growing up, he saw the word incredible about two times a year. And it was in the paper to in context to big time historical events. And when that word showed up, everybody snapped to attention and paid attention. We've become extremely loose with our words, and it's very hard in one sense to to accurately describe the significance of things because a blueberry muffin is in contention for like top dog status. Right. Right. And then, um, and then, you know, if you, if the Donner party, so wow. Um, there were some people that set out in the 1840s to go to California. If I'm off by a few decades, it doesn't matter. And, um, they took a wrong turn, uh, and landed themselves up near Lake Tahoe in one of the worst snowstorms, winters, snow winters that's ever happened. And they resorted to cannibalism. Mm. And to say that um, things went south for them is an understatement. And one of the women that survived, only about half did, um, she wrote her sister uh, back at uh, in, in, in on the East Coast. And the, the letter consisted of four sentences. It says... It said, do not travel. Stay at home. You have a good life. You do not know what trouble is. So woman that survived that magnitude of a something was that brief with her language. And I've looked at language of you know letters of civil war um, or even um, you know, Smedley Butler, like well, it's the, the most decorated Marine ever. He talked about intense crazy war scenarios as mildly discomforting <laughs> dude i mean blueberry muffins folks blueberry yeah. muffins really so i get animated about these conversations because i it's i know what it's done for me so i, I used to not like myself yeah the, what this makes me think of is like it, it's kind of like what that like standard of comparison is so um, have you read Comfort Crisis? Are familiar with that book? My business partner has, and he's yeah. recommended me reading it twice. I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially, it's it's the uh, the idea that um, that we compare every experience to other experiences, and so an example being is like the way a glass of water tastes. A cold glass of water tastes way more ref refreshing after a hard, you know, grueling workout in a hundred degree heat compared to just, you know, sitting in your nice uh, AC cooled uh, <laughs> you know, house and having a just cold, cold glass of water. And so it's, it's the contrast of discomfort that makes comfort so, so enjoyable or vice versa, the contrast of discomfort to comfort that makes things feel so um so uncomfortable um and in our current society where most of our creature comforts are met on a second by second basis that anything anything outside of that kind of norm uh brings along with it like extreme language Fortunately, in the 1840s like going across country 
that's hard as shit. Oh God, bro. bro. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) I I just wrote last weekend. I drove down to, I live in Virginia out in the country and uh, I drove down to Columbia, South Carolina to go see uh, one of my high school buddies get married. And it was a six hour drive and I got in my truck and I drove down there and it was, I thought about that. Exactly what you just said. What would this be like in a covered wagon, man? Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it and then and then domestication comes up. Yeah. Conversation about domestication. Any animal that is domesticated or goes through a process of domestication, which we have, they so we've all seen the little lap dog uh, that that's got you know three hairs and a snaggle tooth going that way and it's sitting there in the summer and it's just shaking it's not cold that thing's not cold what it is is it has 2000 years ago that thing was a wolf it's gone th- when any animal goes through a process of domestication it loses its innate wisdom it's innate ability to kick stress out of the nervous system and what ev- inevitably happens is um, uh, they just stay in these upreg- upregulated sympathetic nervous system response states, sympathetic dominant. And um, to a degree, uh, humans, animals, we've been domesticated. And, and some people have been way more domesticated than others. And, and some people innately know, no, I need a little bit of struggle in my life. Let's go hit that wad and jump in an ice bath. Yeah. Got some breath work. Cool. Let's go. Let's go do Murph. I mean, whatever it is whatever it is and um and that brings back that feeling of being alive and is is language exclusively exclusively the entirety of the problem no no this is a this is a um macro cultural problem issue and and some of the language uh supports the the victimization of of people developing the victim mentality and then that that uh, then characteristics get developed and then it's this negative feedback loop and there's some people that are figuring this thing out and fast that no wait a minute um i see where this thing goes and i'm going over there with my friends yeah yeah like it makes me think we're kind of talking the the historically it is i mean you couldn't afford to have a a victim mentality you couldn't afford to have negative self-talk on a wagon-covered journey in the 1840s across the United States. Like you, your life up at that to that point, you would have to develop the ability to to um, handle life and the struggles of life well, and so a thousand percent. And you this, and I have been were separated at birth. Yeah, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Listen, folks, microaggressions, microaggressions, that shit is a luxury. That yeah. shit is an absolute luxury. No one had the 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 existential luxury of being able to complain that much because it would have gotten you killed in some form or fashion. Yeah. Your own people might have taken you out. Because listen, you have work to do. You've got to produce. You've got to carry your own load. And because guess what? My ass depends on your output and yeah. so, and your ass depends on my output. It's called a tribe. Right. Yes, and, it's- you know, yeah, Skittles and Xbox and <laughs> like social and, and TikTok, you're, you're fucked. 
Yeah. Like if, so, if, if, if you, anyway, go ahead. I was just like, <laughs> sorry if I dropped an F bomb, bro. Very good. I do it. I do it all the time. Cool. The survival essentially, survival essentially required the effective self-talk and group think that would create survival in tough situations. And we've lost like this currently you do that is not required for survival. And in fact, we could argue that it there's been pushed back the other way where um there's actually benefit to having the 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 victimhood mentality, acute benefit, not over the long in some cir- in some yeah. circles, yes, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. In some nope. circles, yeah. In some, it's a, the victim Olympics in some circles. It's like who's got the worst story? You win. Yeah. Was, you I win was, attention. It's how people are getting attention. Yeah. I was watching um watching like a, a Disney nature show with my kids the other day about uh African cats and how like like this one just gets kicked out of the kicked out of the uh the pride hasn't eaten in like however long is like and um but she just like literally every day tried to kill something until she finally did you know, and it was just, uh, it was interesting because like, <laughs> like, like a cat, like, like, a, like a lion can't afford to like sit there and feel sorry for itself. It's like, essentially you're going to either go kill and eat and survive or you're not. And it never went, it never went like, um, why did my pride do this to me? This is unfair. This is, uh, I give up. It was just like, all right, I'll try again tomorrow. <laughs> One of these, if I keep trying to catch these stupid zebras, and one of these days I'm gonna catch a zebra, and it did. Harold Weck would approve growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Everybody, the victim mentality used to be fatal. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It used like, to be fatal. Yeah, you know, which is why Usually, it, yeah, it's interesting because like, like nature does not allow it. So I'm just like, why is it? Why is it like an, an innate, and it why is that like our, our default mode when it's like, that's the worst survival <laughs> strategy on the planet? It's um, that's a good question. That's a really good question. You know, there, there have been rises and falls uh, uh, in, you know, civilizations and there, there are, there are trends. Um, James Lindsay talks at depth about this, everybody. Um, and uh yeah, the 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 it's how would I go about saying that? Um the victim mentality gets in the way of um well yes, of course breathing. Um I'll just say it. You know, when Rome was falling, they were talking about whether angels were male or female. Yeah. It's a canary in the coal mine, everybody. That whole conversation, you know what conversation I'm talking about. That's a canary in the coal mine. And um, okay, fine. They, you can go ahead and do that. Have all that you want. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. And you're right. There is, there is, um, there is a, so if we take it back to the rubber meets the road part of the conversation, I almost went off on a rant. I'm glad I held back. Um, <laughs> um, there are not in some, in some circles. Yes, there are, there are social benefits, attention, social trinkets 
for uh, playing into and inflaming someone's uh, uh, victim mentality and the the aggressions, the microaggressions, that's happening. And if we look at a uh, there's there's another phenomenon going on that when someone goes into uh, their victim mentalities and they learn to think about their thinking. Okay, that's what that's all about. Our man Alan Watts said it. When we learn to think about our thinking, we become alive in a new way. So we pick up the pen and we go into our stories and we we look at our words. The, the, it it is it, forget whatever social movement is the fad of the day. Look at what happens on a um, an energetic, psychological, and and breathing level when we go from I need you to listen to me to i need me to listen to me mm. i just i just took because because i need you to listen to me they're in the picture i'm in the picture and i've got a dumpster fire in my head right and yeah. my breath is trapped in my chest yeah. and nature doesn't like um uh uh any i mean what animal performs at its like lives out its fullest potential in a chronic upregulated state it, 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 we don't do that. We're not designed to do that. We have the gear to go up there and make some things happen. And um, uh, you're, you're the you're the fitness expert. What percentage of our time do do we thrive? So what? I'll frame the question. Figure this out for me to. Uh, how how do I answer? Ask this question. What percentage of parasympathetic nervous system response dominance do is like? The, what's the sweet spot there? Well, there's 24 hours in a day. If you gave yourself a hard workout every day, that's that's it's 90 minutes tops. And that's still kind of kicking your, your butt. So whatever that comes out to, um, you know, it's less than less than five for, per percent. Okay. So 95% of the time for someone that is smart enough to stay active, yeah. uh, um, you're supposed to be down-regulated. Yeah. You, should, you should not okay. be. Uh, you should not be uh, highly aroused. Right. And when I've got um, stories like, um, you know, they did that to me or this. Uh, um, he made me think we needed to get married. Yeah. I had a woman come in, sit down, and that's exactly what she said. And And she was using that to absolve herself from any of the responsibility, any of the choices, any of the anything. And I had her write that sentence down. He made me think we needed to get married. Okay. And I had her take out the he and put in I. And for a hot second, she didn't like it <laughs> because it, the whole thing just went like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and once it caught, she was like, you know what I did? I talked myself into that and I listened to, you know, my, 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 my grand, my parents, they wanted grandkids. And, and at the end of the day, I made that decision as opposed to being um, someone who's well, powerless, yeah. powerless. The current definition of identity is the fact of being who or what a person is. And uh, uh, um, there's truth in that. And there's also uh, a, a little bit of an issue in the sense that, you know, uh, it's oh, it's just the way I am, or that's just how I am. No, guess what? Your identity, your mindset, is a story that you're telling yourself, yeah. and you're participating in that story. 
you're participating in that story. And most people's language, their education about their language and their language tricks them into being innocent bystanders, spectators in the stands, and that's existentially terrifying. Yeah. I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I said it, it absolves them of responsibility. That that's their that's why that's the default. Like I can look out into a reality where I can go about absolving myself of this responsibility without it killing me today. And since that's the easier path, I'll take the easier path. And that's the we inherently will take the easier path if we have to choose between the two. I'll take the easier path of absolving myself of personal responsibility, placing it on someone else so that I don't have to do the hard work of like going back inside here. Correct. And when, and I mean, peer groups are exactly as uh, powerful and valuable as they are. And when then that, when that behavior and that language is promoted in a peer group, you've got an echo chamber and you've got people that are committed to everyone else's victim centricities being true and you got a sinking ship and um uh uh if, if it's okay i'll share a couple of specific uh, language interaction stories that that give some extra well specific context to this conversation sure, yeah. so we've talked about one of the three pillars of uh something in a in lifted that we call conflict language and we've identified this is this is roughly there are three pillars of language that account for 85% of the habitual thoughts that people use to script the victim villain mentality whether they like it or not and one of those is projections we talked about that first which is he did that to me or he made me think we needed to get married or she's controlling my life I've got nothing to do with it. It's all her. And the key words, everybody, are he, she, they, you, people's first names, mom, dad. Dad always talks to me like a child. Look, yeah. I've got dads in the picture. I'm in the picture. He's doing something to me. I've got to wait for him to stop before I can feel better. Good luck. Yeah. Right. And projections, that's usually where the bitterness lies. Those are usually the sentences and ideas that people have that white knuckle grip on. Go there last, everybody. We want to make this, um, uh, the water's warm. Let's, let's ease on in. So that's one. The second one is negations. Here's a story about a negation and a translation, which is what we call going from one of the pillars to the, uh, uh, architect language. I was working up in Calgary doing a training for a group of salespeople. And uh, I gave a workshop, stayed after, and did one-on-one -on -one sessions. I'm in a room with a young guy, about 23, struggling at work. This is what he said, David. This is what he, this is what he did. This is what he said. This is what he did. He goes, Mark, I can't keep focusing on my past. And for, I don't know if this is audio and video, if it's only, I just turned around and I did it even slower than he did because my headset would have flown off. The guy turned around and looked behind him and then turned back and looked at me. I'm in a chair staring right at him and I go, bro, you know, you just turned around and looked behind you, right? He didn't know. He goes, really? I said, yeah. What did you see? 
He had to stop and think about it. He said, I saw myself on the couch and all alone. Then I asked him how he was feeling. And he said, angry and and a little bit scared. And then I didn't have to ask because I could see it. I said, where are you breathing? And he goes, up in my throat. And so that right there, our language, again, internal dialogue, external dialogue, influences four key aspects of our experience of ourselves. To keep it super simple, our imagination, which is pictures and a little mental movies you make. That's what your imagination is. Your feelings and emotions, your how you your posture, okay, your how you present yourself. What do you mean posture? Talk yourself into a bad mood and stay there and watch what happens. Yeah, like this. And look at the words. I've got the weight of the world on my shoulders. I'm under a lot of pressure. I have a heavy heart. Yeah. Right. And then our breath. And and so me being the rocket scientist that I am, I handed him a pen and said, write that sentence down. He didn't know which one I was talking about because I was paying way more attention to his words than he was. He was too caught up in believing his story, not thinking about his thinking. He was just thinking, yay, it's my voice in my own head. I got it right the first time. (laughs) Let's go with it. And so he did. I can't I can't keep focusing on my past. And I said, if that's what you can't keep doing. What can you start doing? And it was such a radical departure, 90 degree turn from that thought train, because guess what? Other thoughts, it's not like we have one bad thought and that's it. Oh, wow. Glad I got that out of the way. No, another one's coming and then another one's coming. And then, and so this is how he said it. He goes, focus on my future more. It was half a (laughs) sentence and it went up at the end. It's called up talk. And I said, yes, now make it a full sentence. And the breath came out again. And he goes, I, it sounded like he was four. I can focus on my future more. I can focus. I can focus on my future more. And now that he's looking where he wants, my driving teacher said that when I got in the car, look where you want to go because you're probably going to go there. That was 30 years ago. I'm still talking about it. And I said, yes, what can you do? And because he was looking where he needed to go, he was able to identify three things he needed to do, which was read these two books, enroll in the mentorship program at work, and then go out with the – they had a, a mixer every month. He may, he, Rocket Science. He may, emailed me uh, nine months later, and he said, thank you. I'm making money. I moved out of the house, and I'm enjoying my life now. Thanks again, Abracadabra. So we have projections – Go there last. Negations, negation keywords, can't, won't, isn't, haven't, not, shouldn't. I won't make that mistake again. There's a picture of me making that mistake again. Uh, um, I'm I'm not going to let them take advantage of me anymore. It's a negation and a projection. Have fun. Uh, (laughs) And so there's a little bit of a learning curve there. The easy thing. This this is a good easy thing, everybody. This is a good easy thing. This is because you can you can um, you can have a tangible experience in your feeling quite quickly by just taking out some of these words. It's called soft talk. I'm going to deliver some soft talk sentences. Let's see if y'all can pick up on the soft talk keywords. I guess I might be drinking too much coffee. I think, uh, or I might, um, I, I might be avoiding the conversation. 
It's almost like I'm procrastinating. <laughs> uh, you, 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 you're in the, how many times has someone said to you out at a party, um, you know, I, 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 I think I might want to come in for a class one day. Yep. yep. How often does that person walk in the door? Zero zilch. Yeah. It's it's called soft talk, folks. And all you have to do is recognize the words. I'm going to help you with this. And you just pluck them out. So it's almost like I'm procrastinating goes to I'm procrastinating. I guess I might be drinking too much coffee turns into no, I am drinking too much coffee. I know I'm drinking too much fucking coffee. Or, you know, maybe I'm avoiding that person. No, I know I'm avoiding that person. And so you start to become more solid in your speech. And then you make deciding making decisions easier that comes with its own thing and Malmodius said it he said i prefer the fear of making the wrong decision to the terror of indecision and to tie it back into identity yeah. if someone practices these these words are in your language folks i promise you and if someone practices indecision over a period of time, they inevitably identify themselves as indecisive. And once you identify yourself as something, whatever it is, you get better at it. So now you're going to get better at being indecisive or, you know, I'm really good at uh, following through. I'm really good at finishing things. You get good at better at finishing things. So here's, I went down to Texas uh, two months ago and did uh, six workshops, three, I handed out 1500 of these things. This is the soft talk Keywords. Uh, Dave, will you read these off for your audience, please? Yeah. All right, here we go. Soft talk challenge. You got probably, perhaps, feels like, guess, maybe, could, might, possibly, sort of, kind of, potentially, hopefully, try, one day, should, almost like, there you go. Hopefully I remember that. Yeah. And you should have seen it because it, it influences folks Our words influence. You should have seen his face and he's doing this consciously and his shoulders are like going up and down. He's like, rrr, rrr. and uh, listen, listen, here's something you, negation acknowledge. You don't, you don't want to turn yourself into a joke in your own mind. Mm -hmm. That, uh, I love that. Freaky. The, um, in a, in a seminar was that a couple of, uh, last week. She said um, she was talking about, like, remember people's names. She said, if you meet someone, you should tell yourself, I intend to remember this person's name. Mark, I intend to remember Mark's name. Like, you're internally saying that to yourself. I guess the percentage goes up extreme when you actually use that versus, like, I'm terrible at people's names. That's what everybody says. Yeah. That Not everybody. Damn near everybody. I'm, and it's the same sentence. I'm terrible with names. Well, guess what? You're going to be. So you have just you have just um, manifested that. You just cat. You just put a spell on yourself. Oh. I put a spell on you. No, it's I put a spell on me again and again and again. We're that because that's what we're doing. Yeah. We're telling ourselves a story about ourselves. It's called mindset. And there, in certain words, if your words are in there, you're getting what you're getting. Okay, for sake of time, yep. I would like to talk about breath. Yes, and how this all ties in. So. Yes. Maybe just kind of give a brief explanation of, of how you it. should be breathing. You, yeah, you, you give it. Yeah. Low and slow. Low, low and, and slow. slow. Yep. We have, um, we have a, uh, ask any coach how many times they've heard me say that. 
low and slow. Get your breath low and slow while you're coaching, mm. especially when you're helping with people with their mindsets and especially, especially with the pillar stories in their victim mentalities, because that is an aspect of people's mindset. It's not the to if someone, if the, the, the totality of someone's mindset was victim centric in nature, they'd never crawl out from under the covers. It's this aspect of the totality of our mindset. And there's usually pillar memories, memories of significance, like the, the, the divorce or the, the, the abuse or the bullying or whatever it is, the injury. And those memories are kept up here. And what we help people do is get them titled and written out in a certain way on paper. And then, then the follow through is it's, it's easy. And so what happens often in that process of getting the stories out, uh, people have emotional reactions. That's great. People are meant to do that. So if you coach people, whether uh, ask any nutrition coach, how 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 much are people's emotions and stories wrapped up in their eating patterns? They go, you wouldn't believe. Actually, I would. And and so when you're helping people with their emotions and feelings, coaches, get your breath low and slow and keep it there so you do not drama bond with them, yeah. which is pretty damn close to trauma bonding. Drama bonding is when they go emotional. <clears throat> And you go emotional, and then that puts you in something called amygdala hijack. Daniel Goleman, that's from his book, Emotional Intelligence. Amygdala hijack, it's it's a another way of talking about um, the mechanics of stress response. So amygdala hijack, breath trapped in the chest, people's ability to listen tanks. You get fixated on something, and you lose access to your physical peripheral vision. Mm -hmm. And and your your training, yep. okay. Um, your, your creative faculties. If you get your breath, everybody, low and slow, and keep it there. At the very most base level of the conversation, you'll be a good listener. And here's another thing that we say in the in, in the enlisted coaching community: good listening equals good coaching because, or good breathing equals good coaching. Because good breathing equals good listening, and good listening equals good coaching, so good breathing equals good coaching. Like I said from the start, more rocket science. So um, most people's breath is trapped in their chest, and in my personal professional opinion, most of that is due to the stories of ouch and pain and sting and woe that are kept in their head and the way they're using their everyday ordinary language. And so when someone – um, goes into these stories in some form or fashion. There's a lot of ways to uh, skin a cat, which is a weird way of, it's a weird analogy. I don't know where that came from, but you know, people see it. You know, there's a lot of ways to develop one's mindset, right? And the universe in all its wisdom, which is way more wise than woke nation, um, it, it helps us down-regulate unlock our breath and then it descends where it's supposed to be most of the time which is low and slow and you're going to like what happens when that happens so the number two i mean there's a laundry list of things that happens when you breathe in a parasympathetic way uh uh most of the time and the second and third most commonly purchased over-the-counter medications are indigestion medication and constipation medication and that's because people are breathing in their chest and that's because they got some story stuff going on yeah so um if you're coaching someone on how to breathe correctly yep 
what would be the cues or would you tell them? Um, outside of a coaching interaction, uh, uh, 85% of your normal rate of speech. Speak at 85%, everybody, of your normal rate of speech. So like I said, this is my 335th podcast. Uh, uh, I've given somewhere around 750 workshops in in this. Uh, uh, we'll just talk about the podcast. I get asked a lot, hey, what do we do? I have two answers. Soft talk. Soft talk. Take some of these words out of your language. You'll feel the difference. You'll go, oh, that guy was serious. I am, and I'm sincere. And then slow down your rate of speech to about 85%. What that's going to do, it's going to loosen up your breath. You'll feel it, and it's going to give you more space and clarity to start connecting dots between what your wor- the words you're using and how they're influencing you for better and for worse. Oh, and you're going to have much better rhythm in conversations. You're going to be able to inflect better uh, um, on words. You'll end up using less words and ha- getting more done. You'll be a, a, a better person to converse with because, again, you're listening better. And your timing and rhythm, which is foundational to any good conversation, one of the worst com- com- people to converse with happens to be a, an extended family member. And uh, he'll ask a question and you'll get – halfway through the answer and he'll ask another question and it just feels like feels like this and it's like i don't want to even want to talk to this person because it's it's a dialogue it's not a it's a monologue not a dialogue so those are my two answers slow down your rate of speech watch what happens and take out some of the maybes and guesses and kindas and sorters and probabilists and watch what happens love it i um can i give a a personal story of like breath work yes please um I would say I probably came up, uh, I opened up my first gym in 2011. I was 25. Um, and like, I remember, gosh, it might be two or three years or something. Like never had a, never had an anxiety attack ever in my entire life. And I just like found myself like sitting on the floor. Like I couldn't catch my breath. I was like, what the heck is happening to me? Um, and then just like the stress of being a business owner, um, not knowing how to handle it. Well, not, not knowing how to, um, uh, how, how to mentally handle it, but also physiologically have awareness and then try to get that back under control. Became aware of breath work four ish, five ish years ago. Um, cold tub saunas, all that kind of stuff, and just kind of got a daily practice of doing cold tub, cold plunges, where you're essentially um, just placing a physiological stress on yourself that's going to put you into a sympathetic system state and having to gain control over your breath. And, and I, um, when people are like, why do you do that? It's like, I have to train myself regularly to be able to have awareness of my stress levels and be able to get those back under control. And this is my daily practice of doing that. I can't, if it gets out of whack, I lose that ability and I don't like feeling stressed. I like feeling relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I need to be able to be present in the moment, make good decisions for my team, for my family, for myself. And if I can't get get control of my breath, then I, like I said, my 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 brain is operating in a fight or flight mode, not a problem solving mode. And um, and so so I do that practice, and I've done a, um, I've done a 
Um, it's called Op Four Opposing Force. It's, it's essentially being like the bad guy for good guys in different training um, situations, military Tactical stuff, military law enforcement. So some of that. Never was any of the, in any of that myself, but uh, it, it's probably the best situation to actually pre- practice stress management without actually someone shooting at you. So essentially, lights go out, music goes full blast. There's highly trained other people on the on the team. The other team is highly trained people who are really, really, really good. And then there's you who they're trying to kill and shoot at. And um, but the beauty behind that is knowing the people who are putting it on. I also got to participate in the training aspect of that, getting to uh, experience a focusing on my breath while people are shooting guns at me. And um, and then I was in a uh, I was in a security situation I was doing security and um, essentially had a had a potential suspect in a not awesome situation where I had to sit beside behind them for an hour on like freaking red alert. And, um, and my wife was asking me about it afterwards. She was, and she's like, well, like, what are you doing? I was like, honestly, I'm just going like, I was like, I was doing box breathing. I was checking in on myself about every minute. Where are you mentally? Okay. All right. Now that you're good mentally, I would check in on my, with my team. I would check this guy, see what was going on with him. I'd have awareness of my surroundings. I was just like, it was an hour long, essentially like breath practice session. I love <laughs> because, it. Because uh, I was like, uh, having gone through the breath work myself, having gone through, th- th- through those other situations, I was like, I know what could, ha- if this anything does happen, this pops off. I got to be in the right mental state to handle this appropriately. So it was, a, it was an hour long breath, breath, breath session with the, with the, with this. And I, I, that's just the power of it. So, um, you know, it's that's like my own personal story of uh, the power of of having the awareness of what the internal speak that's occurring in here, and then the physiological things that are going on from that speech, and then trying to gain control of that. If I have awareness of it now, I can take an action that I know will, will, will move it in the right direction. So anyways, that was, that was kind of my story. I thought you'd appreciate that. I very much appreciate that. Um, I too have done, I'm a civilian done trainings with people that are not civilians. And one, that's just incredibly impressive. And two, if you're not breathing right, your, your mind will go crazy. Let's take out tactical training and put it um, – and let's just say giving a presentation. Yep. You Give a workshop and hold your breath. Tell me how that goes. Yeah. Get on a sales call and hold your breath. Tell me how that – go on a date and hold your breath and be all up in your head and tell me how that goes. Yeah. So this thing – and we, um, we have a breathwork coach in the Enlisted Coaches community. I went to middle school with him, Brandon Powell. He's a very good friend. And he um, he owns a dojo. He's a second-degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a level three Wim Hof instructor. There aren't that many of those out there. Yeah. And um, he's been the, the, if not one of the top three premier Wim Hof instructor instructors in all of their certifications in North America. Um, and he does a 
breath workshop for the enlisted coaches every quarter. He and right. I have done at least 15 workshops together combining, get, hey, pick up a pen and get that boogie monster story out on yeah. paper and we'll, we'll help you with the rest of it. Uh, even if it weighs 500, if you feel like that's a 900 pound pen, get it on paper because a little, let, let's look at this folks. I know we're getting close. Um, I'll take a little bit of sting right now as opposed instead of, you know, bumping up into this stuff for just, you know, maybe three or four decades. That's the real scary stuff. If we look at it and we're honest, that's the real scary stuff. And, and so I, yes, we're, we are very big proponents of um, improving words and also improving breath and they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand, improve your breath. You're going to improve your mindset the story you tell yourself, you improve the story you tell yourself, you're going to improve your breath. And then you get in this, you set up this habit um, of uh, being in your body as opposed to stuck in your head. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, to kind of finish it off, tell us a little bit more about Enlifted, how people can get what you guys um, provide, how you serve people, and then how people can get in contact with y'all. Very cool. Enlifted is a school. We certify coaches. Um, first and foremost, level one is dedicated to uh, uh, helping coaches learn to dismantle their clients' victim mentalities because that's where most people are going to meet their clients. Very rarely does someone book in for, we'll just call it a mindset coach, um, when the sun's out. No, they're stuck somewhere. They're struggling. They need some help. And upon further inspection, those stories are of a certain nature. Okay, so that's where we start. We've got three levels to our certification. I'm the, one of the co-founders, and I'm the head coach of Enlifted. I deliver all the certifications live. And um, so more on that, Enlifted.me. That's the website, Enlifted.me. We have a podcast. It's called Get Enlifted. It's all about the words. Um, most of our clients' tell base are people um, that are interested in personal professional development and uh, a lot of coaches. And then you can follow us on IG at at Enlifted Coaches. Awesome. Love it. Hey, Mark, appreciate you coming on the podcast. That was that was great stuff, brother. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to NBS Fitness Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, follow us on social media, and check out our website at www.nbsfitness.net. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more NBS Fitness Radio.